over the course of these days. We've been unfolding the uh, instructions at this time uh, through the sequence of the Satipatthanas, (coughs) as outlined in this very important and influential discourse sutta of, of the Buddha, the Satipatthana Sutta. These ways of establishing mindfulness, sati. And so we've, we began with the contemplation of body, the first way of establishing mindfulness. And really the ground f- within which all four satipatthanas are to be investigated and explored. There's a a place in the suttas where the Buddha says that the person who has no mindfulness of the body has no mindfulness at all. Or we could say in the moments when I have no mindfulness of the body, I have no mindfulness at all. So this is a domain of our experience that we never leave as our practice deepens and becomes more inclusive of different um, dimensions and kind of lenses, really. This is, this is what this uh, sutta offers, these different lenses on our experience. So body, and in the sutta there are six different aspects of cultivating uh, mindful awareness of the body. Vedana, then, and we spent some time reflecting on that. The tonality of experience and the benefits of bringing mindful awareness to that in terms of um, quietening, diminishing, unbinding the reactivity that so habitually arises in kind of unconscious cascade from the flavor of things as pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And then the last couple of days, this theme of citta and investigation of mental states and moods, the shaping you know, powerful shaping influence of thoughts and cognition. The Buddha directing our attention to these domains because of the, the benefits of doing so. You know, because to bring mindfulness to these different aspects is, is, can be powerfully liberating. And that's true also of the fourth of the Satipatthanas, uh, which uh, the Pali word is dhammas, so contemplation of dhammas. Uh, and this is a word that you know, one finds a lot in the suttas and has a variety of meanings. Uh, in this context, we could say that what this fourth Satipatthana is about, uh, well, dhammas, in a sense, phenomena, one could say, but particular categories of phenomena, particular templates the, the Buddha offers in this fourth Satipatthana, templates for th- kind of through which to understand and bring mindful awareness to phenomena as they arise in the body, in the heart-mind, in our relational experience. In the the Pali versions of this sutta, there are are five of these templates in, in this fourth category. But if one looks across all the different versions of the sutta in the Pali, the 
the Chinese and the Sanskrit versions, what one finds is that the two lists that occur in all versions of this sutta are the hindrances and the awakening factors. And you know, these are such, um, such helpful lists really to get to know. You know we, we've reflected quite a bit on the hindrances this week and they um, in a sense have the awakening factors as their complement. You know, the, the awakening factors are described in the suttas as anti-hindrances. So just like the hindrances are that which obscure and obstruct and veil our experience. The awakening factors are that which illuminate, liberate, kind of cohere, orient our experience towards the, the, uh, the process of awakening. The, the, the Buddha said, just as a river inclines and flows towards the ocean, so the awakening factors incline towards Nibbana. And um, as uh, many of you will be aware, there are seven of these awakening factors. Um, and they have uh, two limbs or two, two kind of, uh, what could we call it, two um, axes or dynamics within them. So that the seven are sati, mindfulness, which... Um, the Buddha says, is the one of these awakening factors that is always beneficial. <laughs> it's always helpful to c- cultivate mindfulness. Uh, then investigation. Investigation of dhammas, investigation of phenomena. From that, and there's a sequential, I mean, sen- just kind of have, have a sense of how these are, are unfolding in a sequence kind of energetically almost. So mindfulness, investigation, energy. Yeah? Energy and then joy. Kind of rapture, gladness. And then tranquility. And collectedness, samadhi, and upeka, which is equanimity. So there's this kind of energizing three. So, so with sati as the kind of foundation for them all, there's a kind of energizing three of, of investigation, energy, and joy, gladness, piti. And then a kind of calming. So, so tranquility, collectedness, and equanimity. And... As with the hindrances, um, and this is partly why these two lists kind of pair together, in the sutta there's a real emphasis on um, this getting to know how these work. You remember we had this sense of the Buddha, as well as the question, what does this need, which we could perhaps have a sense of as a kind of compassion-oriented question, there's, there's the question, how does this work? <laughs> and the form of these two lists in the Sutta, the hindrances and the awakening factors, is very similar. Because the Buddha encourages, you know, with the hindrances, well, know, investigate and know how an unarisen hindrance can arise, how an arisen hindrance can be removed and how a future arising of a re- the removed hindrance can be prevented. Does that make sense? You kind of get to know 
uh, how do these work? What, what kind of invokes doubt? How can I kind of meet doubt skillfully in a way that doesn't feed it, that you know, quietens it? And how can I kind of guard against its arising? You know? And this is, a, you know, this is a lifetime's work, let's be. You know, getting to know how these work. With the awakening factors, you know, he says, if any of these awakening factors is present in her, she knows, oh, this awakening factor, this awakening factor, say, of mindfulness, is present in me. And if the awakening factor... Mindfulness awakening factor is not present in her. She knows it's not present in me. And she knows how the unarisen awakening factor can arise and how the arisen awakening factor can be perfected by development. Do you get that kind of... It's the know-how. How does this work? You know? How can we invoke Mindfulness. How can we investigate? You know, how can we cultivate a sense of energy, of joy, of tranquility, of collectedness, of equanimity? So there's a very kind of um, practical aspect to this. And this is why it's a really helpful list to, to learn like the list of the, the hindrances, just to kind of learn and to, to be checking, okay, is there mindfulness here? Yeah, okay, there's some mindfulness here. You know? The mindfulness then can support investigation. You know? So we invoke the mindfulness, say through mindfulness of the body, the present momentness of the body, the grounding, Sensing, breathing, and then investigating. The question, something like the question, what's happening? It's an investigation question. What's happening right now? And this factor of investigation is so crucial in the practice, isn't it? Being interested being curious about what's happening, what's going on, how is this working, how does this mental state feel in the body, you know? how does it color perception of self, other, time, world, you know? what's the story that's being believed here. There's a, there's a, a, a text uh, in the tradition where um, investigation is said to be the, the, the mental factor that actually most powerfully liberates the mind of all the awakening factors. And there's something so precious about our curiosity. Can, can we kind of feel that, that? That being interested is what ignites this practice. If I'm not really interested, if I just kind of sit down and kind of whiling away the time, you know, actually nothing, generally what happens is all the kind of habits consolate, don't they? But to be interested is in itself liberating. It's hard to be completely stuck in a mental state that you're also interested in. Can we feel that? Being interested in boredom, you know? or being interested in irritation. It kind of creates a space. You know? I sometimes think of this curiosity as a kind of sacred flame within us that actually needs feeding and caring for our in, in interest, because it's, it's so precious. You know? One of the qualities I've noticed in there, a kind of, teachers who I've found most kind of deeply wise is that they have a really abiding sense of curiosity. They're really curious. How does this work? You know? And it needs, yeah, 
There, there, is a, there are temples in India where the, the spiritual practice is just to, to tend the fire. That's the whole spiritual practice is to tend the fire. And it feels we need to tend the fire of our interest and curiosity about this experience of being human. And what does interest bring? It brings energy, doesn't it? There's a kind of agency or energy or kind of dynamism that comes from being interested in this life. The, The word virya also suggests a certain kind of courage, a certain kind of Well, Christina sometimes translates this as this word as heroism, but but just a sense of courage and, and energy and strength that comes from from being interested and being willing to engage. You know. And some of you have been noticing the connections between these qualities and the quality of joy. Can, can we feel the connection between curiosity and joy? There's something energizing and something kind of gladdening to the heart-mind about discovering. You know, our, our hearts and minds, they really, they, they really like to discover. They like to learn. That, that insight has a pleasant Vedana. You know, inquiry can, you know, insight is what liberates and it, it comes from investigating, being curious, seeing things clearly, you know. So, you know, sensing into this, this kind of sequence of, of mindfulness, when I'm present, there can be the inquiry, the investigation, what's happening right now. As we reflected yesterday, just the inquiry into body, into Vedana, into the mental state. When one pauses, those about two moments that some of you have been commenting on in the groups. What's happening? This, this brings a certain energy, a sense of agency. Uh, and a kind of enjoyment in the practice (laughs) to be uh, discovering. And that energizing then also kind of balanced by pasadi, the the next factor of, of calming, tranquility, relaxation, we could even translate it as. It we can sense maybe that, that the kind of a balanced state of mind is a kind of energized calm. It's not a kind of dull calm. It's a kind of bright calm. You know? And the calming supporting then the collectedness, this, the sixth of the factors, the samadhi that we've spoken about. So knowing you know, when there's not calm, this kind of know-how, oh, what helps in calming? Oh, maybe grounding. Maybe really valuing the out-breath. Maybe opening the sense of spaciousness helps to calm this agitated mental state. You know? All of that supporting the, the collectedness of samadhi, or the collecting, the gathering of samadhi. It's, it's in some of the conversations this week. There's been a real sense of 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 tasting that samadhi isn't just this kind of functional concentration of the mind. It's a nourished, kind of enjoyable appreciative collectedness, yeah? 
uh, and that the kind of pleasurable, enjoyable aspect of samadhi is really integral to that. It's, it's, it's part of how the heart-mind gathers itself. If I'm just trying to focus my attention, that may not be very nourishing. And so the attention may not be very interested in being focused. You know? But if there's a sense of kind of enjoyment, appreciation, that helps the, you know, the attention likes to enjoy things. You know? And so this kind of nourished quality to the collectedness, whether that's collectedness in the breath, some other anchor in the body, or the whole body, space around the body, the sense of the kind of energy field of body that we're trying to kind of unify, cohere. And that this supports then the factor of equanimity. It's really interesting how in all the lists in which equanimity appears, it's always the last one in the list. Which really points to its importance as the kind of orientation or compass bearing of this practice. We could say that what this whole practice is directed towards is the cultivation of a kind equanimity, a compassionate equanimity, an appreciative equanimity. What take that harm with typical kind of beautiful simplicity calls a very cool head and a very warm heart. What is equanimity? Balance. A kind of steadiness. A capacity, as the the Buddha puts it in one place, to to fare evenly midst the uneven. (laughs) What does that mean kind of precisely? Well, it's the, the growing capacity for kind of non reactivity to the changing dance of Vedana moment by moment. Yeah? This is where it all kind of loops up, connects. Because what pulls us off balance is reactivity to Vedana, right? You know, the, the reactive chasing of the pleasant, the reactive pushing away of the unpleasant, particularly. You know, that can send us through, you know, it can drive us, it can, we can spend a lifetime just reacting to Vedana reacting to something we're not even aware of. It can kind of write our biography and does, doesn't it? Individually, collectively. And and what is it? You know, this is the precious gift of the Dharma is is to have that sense of the possibility of a of a of a a heartful, mindful cultivation of non-reactivity which is not numbness, is it? It's because that's, you know, the, the heartful, mindful keeps this sensitive and responsive and relational. But just there's a deepening understanding that happiness and peace do not come through chasing the pleasant and seeking to push away the unpleasant. You know, this is, we kind of get a taste for this and sense, oh, so a, a deep reorientation of, of kind of values in a certain way. I come to see, okay, that equanimity is peace. Equanimity is steadiness. Equanimity is a, a resourced capacity to be with an increasingly wide range of the experiences that life presents to us without being 
knocked off balance, without being completely overwhelmed. You know. And of course we reach overwhelm and being knocked off balance, and those are our growing edges. You know. and, and life, you know, we, we generally all have to bear the unbearable at times. And, and this is our training. Can I, midst the, the great delights and the great sorrows and difficulties of life, can I be cultivating some degree of steadiness, some degree of groundedness, some support for this heart in not just closing down in, in reactivity, you know, the reactivity of wanting and not wanting. You know. Equanimity upekka is one of the words for it, literally meaning a kind of overview. Is is in places used as a synonym for nibbana. So you know, this is the kind of it points towards the flavor of Nibbana. And maybe kind of as you sit here now on this kind of final full day of the retreat, just sensing in body and heart-mind what it is to choose to orient to equanimity to feel how our practice of these other awakening factors that have indeed been part of these days kind of can support that capacity for steadying, for breathing with experience rather than bracing against it, for allowing, allowing the changing waves of experience to arise and pass. And you know these uh, awakening factors are often linked with with another list that that highlights the, the orientation to letting go. That that kind of highlights how these awakening factors really support a kind of releasing of craving and aversion. (laughs) And to feel how the heart that is supported and collected and nourished with joy and curiosity and also calmed and steadied can be present in the midst of experience and can therefore bring a more uh, resilient and unconditional kindness and compassion to the moments of our days. So, an invitation on our last full day together, just to, if it feels helpful, to to include uh, these awakening factors. They, they, I won't say more now, but but you may sense as you cultivate them, just how they do quieten the hindrances, you know and how they can really support the tasting of, of peace. So let's sit for some time together.
in many ways we can say that the mind that is fully here is a mind in unification, in collectedness. So if we look at these awakening factors, Chris neatly outlined just before, you have <coughs> collectedness is in there very much. Um, if a mind that is fully here is unified, collected, calm, lucid and uh, bright, then what do we do when a mind is not here, when it is not lucid, when it is not calm? So that's where our awakening factors are again helpful because we have other skills in there. We have other skill sets in there. One of the skill sets has to do with, in the uh, list of awakening factors, it's called Dhammavichaya, investigation. There are many, many terms for types of investigation. Uh, there's a lot of synonym and a lot of diversity in how to investigate. Um, in terms of the Satipatthana teaching, these would be called the combination of mindfulness, sati, and of clear comprehension of sampajanya. Sampajanya is a sort of practical, hands-on savvy. Yeah. And uh, if we were speaking about this in psychological terms, we would speak of orientation skills. So, using, when the mind is not deeply calm, when it is not deeply present, when it is not found the ease of stillness, we orient and we find out a few things. So we can orient how the mind gets lost, how the chitta is preoccupied, how sati gets waylaid. So let's see what could be ways in which sati can be waylaid. Uh, we're doing sort of a psychological language hindrance parkour. So one way sati can get waylaid is basically by losing its fluency. Yeah? In other words, we obsess. Yeah? Attentional focus loses its fluency. Rather than being able to scan, rather than being able to hold the periphery, rather than being able to be with things moving, we're somehow stuck on something. We're stuck on an individual aspect of our experience. And life moves on and we're somehow stuck in that experience. So we have lost mobility uh, of our mindfulness. We have lost the, the ability of the chitta to be continue to be reflective of what is taking place. We're kind of like frozen in a particular story. We're frozen, we're obsessed with a particular feature of our experience. So this is a, a piece we can ask, you know, am I stuck with something? Is, the, is my attention latched onto something? Generally an event, an encounter, a particular pattern, traumatic in nature or just deeply ingrained. I keep having the feeling I'm back in this situation, back in this situation, back in this situation. Another ways of getting lost is um, we may lose here and now. You know? We just, under the onslaught of a little reverie of um, an emotion, we're kind of losing our bearings. We're losing where we are. You know, preoccupied the mind, the chitta is dwelling on something that has increasingly less and less to do with where we are actually at, what the situation we're in, the people we're in, the demands, the challenges that come at us, uh, the possible delights that come at us. All this is lost because we are somehow, uh, we've lost our bearings. That's a something we can find out. You know, one of, this, one of the faculties of mindfulness is to bring back the things that are lost. That's the ingenuity of mindfulness. It doesn't just hold things in mind. It actually also has a capacity to bring back something that's lost. When you notice that your mind has wandered off, very simple example, and that you've been kind of rehearsing something for the last 15 minutes, but that actually before that you were meditating and there was something about breath and something about belly, yeah? and you remember vaguely. Yeah? That part of you which says, I have wandered off, I have lost my object, I have lost my anchor, that part is already sati. And the next step of sati is to be, ba be able to recall that which has been lost, to bring that back into the center of your attentional focus. So this function of sati is beautiful because it helps us after we have 
oriented and recognized, you know, lost the fluency, lost the here and now, I can actually re-acknowledge the here and now. I can say, oh, right, I'm dreaming. I'm fixated on a particular aspect of my experience three years ago, and I'm still, you know, my life has moved on. Let me bring back what is important to me. Let me bring back what I know to be wholesome. Let me bring back what I know helps me ground. Let me bring back my values. Let me bring back my connectedness. So, loss of fluency, loss of here and now. I can lose the body. Yeah. I can get lost by losing the body. Just disembodying, because in, in pursuit of an idea, in um, under the overwhelm of a, a, an anxiety attack, um, being with something so strong that I have no chance of holding it in the body, I may get blown off, get blown away from my embodied experience. This can be known. Even if you're disembodied, you can know degrees of disembodiment. And you can, that, to, to know that gives you a much better chance to kind of come back in, you know, follow that road back down into your incarnation, quite literally. I can lose the space. So, one way of getting lost is by losing the space. I can just collapse onto something. There were quite a few things happening in my life, and now I'm, I'm just collapsing onto one thing, one event, one sensation. Pain does that often very powerfully. I have a pain, an emotional pain or a physical pain, and pain is something that can really reduce us. So one way of getting lost is being collapsing into one aspect of our experience. And the whole possibility, the whole range of our mental faculties is gone, just collapsed into one contracted little feature of my experience. That also can be known. Or I can lose the other. That's another way of getting lost. I can somehow, under the, um, under the power often of an emotion, or of a particular obsession I may have, a desire, but often it is emotion, I may lose the other, you know. It suddenly feels as only my experience is relevant, only my uh, feelings matter, only that something is so powerful or so dominant in my life that I lose you, that I lose my interlocutor, that I lose my, my loved ones in some way. Somehow you guys, you guys become unreal in the face of the intensity of what I happen to be experiencing. Yeah, that may be as much as a trauma or a panic attack, as it may be an obsession, an ambition. You know, we, we suddenly begin to prioritize this piece here, this end of the field, a lot more. And you become unreal in, in, in this my world that has shriveled to to basically me, what I feel of myself, my sensitivity. I'm very sensitive, but unfortunately only for my own feelings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anxiety can make us really selfish, yeah. can make us really cut off everything else. Um, obsession can do that, ambition can do that. Uh, the pursuit of a particular goal, be that gratification or be that um, a feeling of having to sacrifice the you for something the me needs to fulfill before you have space or time again in my life. Yeah. So there's different ways of getting lost. And an orienting skill, a, a comprehension skill, as, as Sampajanya is speaking of, is capable, even if you're completely lost and at sea, you can still use these orientation skills. You know. Am I... Is this chitta fluid? You know, is the mindfulness being able to move from different themes to different other themes? Have I lost here and now? Do I know what's actually happening around me? Do I know what's happening in the lives of the people I'm connected with? Or do I just take them for granted and operate by basically uh, what I have known of them three years ago and this is just gonna, we're just gonna move on? Have I lost the space, you know? 
Is my world suddenly shriveling down to my anxieties, to my ambitions, to my obsession with a particular task, a particular topic, a particular securing of something? Have I lost the body? You know, how much do I... How often a day you find yourself in front of your screen uh, in an awkward position? You know, I find myself umpteenth time, you know, when I do work with uh, just digital stuff or just trying to hold my little show on the road, you know, and do my 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 admin, you know, I, I find myself consistently moving into this world, into a head world, and my body doesn't like that. So it kind of, it, it does all kind of contortion, it's, it sits in crooked ways, it, it stiffens up parts that are totally unneeded to be, to be used right now. Uh, I, we may notice suddenly that we're actually hungry already for a while, but we haven't acknowledged that to ourselves or... So I suspect you've all been in that place. We may lose the body. We may become far. We may become remote to our own embodied world. Um, we can know that. Something in us can take a breath and know, oh, wow, that's a full bladder or that's a hurting back or, God, I really, you know, I'm really crooked. You know, I have a kind of vulture posture in front of my <laughs> keyboard. Huh? So... I would expect many of you to be that. I, it's difficult to notice how you actually tense up, but once you're tense, it's possible to acknowledge you're tense. And then often it just takes, ah, drop your shoulder and the shoulder goes down. And it may be the case that we have to do that many, many times. So, Or we may use, lose our, our close ones. We may lose the people. We may lose the people with whom we share a situation because we're so preoccupied we're such an incredible phenomenon that we are dedicating all our attention to the discovery of our own fascinating worlds, you know. And these boring people are just modulations of our consciousness out there, you know, which are basically there to applaud or, <laughs> or to validate me in my pursuit of the mystery of my own being. Yeah? So, so do note... Even if your mind isn't collected deeply or calm, it's use these orientation skills that you know Chris has outlined on the Dhamma Vijaya. We can ask questions, we can inquire. Often a little harmless question <laughs> just tells us so much. You know, space opens and we become clear. Oh God, yes, I'm stuck. Or I've lost my body, or my life seems to consist of this and this only thing, or there used to be, you know, there used to be many things and I somehow have lost them. Look at that. You know, people around me see things in my life that I don't see anymore because I, I, I live, as it says in, uh, I think it's in one of Joyce's books. Yes, Mr. Duffy uh, in one of the Dubliners. Mr. Duffy who lived at the short distance of his own body. Yeah. <laughs> now, <laughs> there... This is the most elegant and uh, snappiest description of dissociation I have ever found. Yeah? Yeah, so. so ask these orientation questions and often enough just asking the question and acknowledging the suchness of our immediate experience will actually come, allow us to come back. And when we have acknowledged, yes, there is space, Yes, there is another. Yes, there is a body. Yes, it is possible to move. Yes, it is possible to, to, to be fluid. You know, we can come back. Yeah? We haven't lost the skill to that. We have just temporarily lost the awareness of that. And mindfulness can bring that back in a snap of a finger. Yeah? So uh, take that out to your walk, walking path. Take that to your cushions. And uh, I hope you take some of this into your lives. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.